Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. Thanks so much, Greg. Good morning, everybody. If I haven't met you already, my name is Luke, and it's a privilege to be um, sharing a message with you. Before I jump into the message, I'm, I just was so encouraged just hearing the story of the, the, the third property as well. Uh, as Greg said, it's, I think the third time in three years I've been uh, in, the, in, in, in Covenant Grace, and uh, I've got to track with your journey um, and, and see this. I'll tell you a little bit of the story. I'm a part of Common Ground. We started 26, 27 years ago by Rigby and Sue Wallace. They came into Cape Town um, and, uh, and, and took over the leadership of a church of about 50 people in the suburb of Rondebosch. They met in a school hall, and the church began to grow steadily. And um, at some point, God began speaking about a property. About, they were renting in a school hall, and God began speaking about a property. And, um, and so they began responding, and they bought a property. And in the process of this property, Rigby one day, I, I'm sure, I, I might get the story wrong, but but my uncle said, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Um, but anyway, so, so this, the story is Rigby's tying his shoelace. He's tying his shoelace one morning, and he hears God's voice speak to him, buy both. Buy both. What's going on here? See, they were buying one property on the Rondebosch Common. And, uh, and, and unbeknownst to him, the property next door had just come available for sale. And he's literally tying his shoelace, and, he has, and he's not sure what's going on. And then he got into the, got into the property and, and then heard, and the wires began to connect, and the church began praying, and, and, and etc. Anyway, long story short, Common Ground bought both properties. That second property became what was known as Friends First House. It became the hub of all the action that took place for NextGen and for staff that, that later would grow on. You see, it was around 2000, 2004, that, that area that, that this building began happening, buying both began happening, the development happened. And then around 2007, an extraordinary thing began to happen in the church. And, uh, and people were coming from all different parts of the city to Rondebosch, and, um, and, and the church launched another congregation, and then the next year, another congregation. And we witnessed, over the course of 10 years or 11 years, 11 churches planted across the city of Cape Town. I still get goosebumps even telling you about it. It was the most extraordinary thing to have been a part of, just watching that happen. And, and, and I'm just hearing Greg talk and coming in. You know, you, you live in the story. You, you don't always get to see the changes that happen. I come in once every three years or so. I get to see. Guys, it's extraordinary what you're a part of. Who knows what God might be doing into the future? But it, it, it's 100% clear that I can see all over you the evidence of God. And so I just want to say, well done. Well done for representing the gospel so well in the city. Well done for your faithfulness to Christ. And I can see the fruitfulness and the blessing of God all over you as a people. So keep on. And I'm thrilled at what God's going to do in the future. Anyway, where are we today? Um, where are we in our message today? Um, one last thing I'll say on this one. I made a little note, and I didn't, driving here this morning, we were, I woke up in East London this morning, and we drove through, and I had some time to think and pray in the car. You know, you know what God gave Israel the promised land? They were, they were given it as an inheritance. We, we think inheritance in our modern world is somebody passes away, then you, just, you get given something. There's probably a bit of tax involved, but you get something, right, for nothing. That's not how inheritance worked in the Bible. God gave them the promised land, 
But then they had to take the promised land. They were taking their inheritance. You guys are about to embark on a season whereby you have to walk into your inheritance. It doesn't just, you don't just wake up and it's yours. You, you actually, as being part of the people of God, you get to walk in faith, trusting God and contributing and being part of what God is doing as you walk into the inheritance that God has for you. But as you know, as you do that, it, it's one of the ways that God forms you and shapes you and you, how you become the people of God in the process of that inheritance. And so just to put that before you, this is not going to fall into your lap. Although God is clearly at work, there's, a, there's an element to lean in, to take ground, and to be a part of what God is doing. Anyway, where are we today? Let's talk today about evangelism and the nature of God. Evangelism and the nature of God. I want to talk about evangelism today. I'm sure most of you are not thrilled to hear that topic. Uh, hoping today to come at it from a different angle. And I want to give some, um, some credit to uh, two guys, uh, Michael Reeves and Daniel Hames, who wrote a fantastic book. I'll show you a picture later of the book. But, but just reading this book uh, revealed freshly to me the nature of God and the mission of God in a way that was so compelling. And so I want to speak to us today a little bit about evangelism, the E word. Most Christians, are we know we're supposed to evangelize other people, right? To win souls, right? It's a bit nerve-wracking for some of us, you know? We're supposed to be witnesses, Right? to look for opportunities, even to pray for opportunities to tell other people about God. But most of us, if we're honest, we struggle with evangelism. That's my experience anyway. The E word, it's like the T word, evangelism and tithing, shivers a little bit, you know. Strangely enough, it seems everyone is okay. Everyone besides Christians is okay in our modern world to talk about their faith. It's, it's really cool, in fact, in our modern society, to give credit to the universe. You know, it's very progressive. It's seen as being very cool. Maybe you consult with a life coach or a guru, some sort of spiritual advisor. These things are, are, are quite mainstream. Um, my, son's, uh, he, my son's in high school now. His valedictory address as he left primary school was all, the whole talk was about the journey up toward the top of a Buddhist temple to the Buddhist holy place. It seems it's okay to talk about all other faiths. Now, I'm not knocking talking about other faiths. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not knocking these uh, other efforts to talk about belief and practices in other faiths, but I just want to point out how acceptable, even esteemable it is to talk about pretty much all other faiths and beliefs in our culture. But somehow talking about Christ has become awkward. It's become instantly seen as pushy and even offensive to other people. A recent Barna study found that 47% of millennials believe it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs. I'm quoting here. It is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in the hope that they will come to share the same faith. Labels like Bible bashing, Bible thumping, hostility toward Christianity leave many of us feeling insecure when it comes to evangelism and sharing our faith. Yet we feel conflicted too because probably most of us as Christ followers long to see our friends and family members come to faith. We long to see them come to know the love of God and, 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 and to live in that as well. And so this longing, though, often translates more into guilt about what we're not doing than it does into actual evangelism. Yet when you read the Bible, it's clear evangelism is part of our faith. Uh, have a look with me. Psalm 96 verse 3. 
This is, what, this is what the psalmist writes. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the people. To be a follower of God is to declare his glory among the nations. Isaiah 12 verse 4. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Oh, I can read it up there. That's amazing. We need one of those. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make, no, make him known among the nations what he has done. And proclaim that his name is exalted. Evangelism is part of the Christian life. And so today, I really want to try and help us along the idea of evangelism and mission. My big idea today is this phrase. The best evangelists are delighted believers who are enjoying the goodness of Jesus. The best evangelists are delighted believers who are enjoying the goodness of Jesus. Take a second, familiarize yourself with that phrase. The best evangelists are delighted believers who are enjoying the goodness of Jesus. Just think back with me to the early church. The early church, how they grew and they exploded, and the, and the gospel rang out through the regions in which they lived. They were overcome with wonder at who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. They were overjoyed at his redeeming work in their lives and in the world. They were, they were unable to keep quiet. They, they were so captivated and in awe of Christ. Evangelism for them, it wasn't a duty, it wasn't a discipline, it wasn't like wake up and I have to crank up evangelism in my life as much as it was the overflow of their delighted. Can you believe who Jesus is? Can you believe what Christ has done? It just kind of overflowed. They gushed out their evangelism. I had the privilege yesterday of um, walking my mom in, uh, down the aisle at her wedding. Very strange thing. I also met my stepdad the same day. I mean, you've got to get your head around all of that stuff. Um, it's been very quick, but but watching my mom and watching her and our husband, Harry, talk about one another, they just gush about, oh, he's the nicest man, he's so sweet. They just can't help but talk about one another, you know? They're delighting in one another. You don't have to sit and ask her a question, tell me about him. No, no, they just tell you about them because they're delighting in one another. My, 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 my angle today is the d delighted believers stunned by the goodness of Jesus are the best evangelists. And in Michael Reeves and Daniel Hames's book, God Shines Forth, they do a brilliant job of diagnosing the evangelism dilemma and sharing a bit of a remedy. And here's the premise of the book, that our struggle with evangelism is based on an incorrect view of God, and in particular, an incorrect view, incorrect view of his glory. It's a view of God issue. And unless we find God to be the most utterly wonderful being in all the universe, we'll struggle to share him with others. If you're not personally enjoying God like we did in worship, today. If you're not personally delighted in him, you're never going to feel courage to commend him to others. And he picks up on our understanding of God and the glory of God in particular. So let's do that a little bit. Without answering out loud this morning, what does glory mean? Think about it for yourself. How would you, how would you define the word glory? We use it, we sing it, we read it often. How would you define glory? Now again, without answering out loud, does God share glory or does God receive glory? Is God primarily a glory sucker or is God primarily a glory sharer? Take a look at this title of Christ that Paul uses. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 
Jesus is called the Lord of glory. It's a title Paul uses of Jesus, the Lord of, of glory. We need an understanding of, of, of the way in which the word glory was used in the Bible. Glory in the New Testament is the Greek word doxa. Doxa is most closely associated with somebody's reputation. Think of reputation. Think of your reputation in school. Think of your reputation in business. Think of your reputation in life. Uh, doxa closely associated with the word reputation. It's who we know or who we understand someone to be. But, but this, this word doxa or thinking reputation is also, it brings in an Old Testament understanding as well. The Old Testament Hebrew word kavot, which means the weight or the radiance of something. Think of the way in which light radiates out of the sun. But it has connotations both of the substance, what it is, as well as what it emits and what shines out of that as well. So look at the way the, the writer to the Hebrews describes God's glory. Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed as heir of all things and, and through whom also he made the universe. Check, check this out in verse 3. Thinking in terms of uh, doxa, uh, radiance, thinking in terms of, uh, of kavot, glory in the Old Testament being the substance and the, 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 the shining out, the radiating of that thing. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. This is the thing I want us to see here. Jesus is the exact representation of his being. In Jesus, God radiates. God shines out. God shares his glory. He's re revealing the substance of who God is. In Christ, God overflows into the world. And notice how personal that revelation is. This is not just a billboard. It's not just an announcement, but it's a person that overflows here. Reeves and Haim say this in their book. Jesus Christ is in himself the radiant display of the reality of God. Jesus is that radiating out of the reality of God. Moreover, he is to us the gift of God's very self. Jesus himself, the glorious display of God. In Jesus, God gives glory. God pours out his very nature into the world. But have a look at the flow and the trajectory of glory here. It's not glory sucking as much as it's pouring out, radiating outward. Look, look at the trajectory. God is always giving. God is always sharing. God is always serving. God is always loving. It's always flowing out of God. God is not sucking as an anemic, drawing to himself, needy person. He is overflowing goodness nonstop. Our God is an outward flowing river of glory as opposed to a puddle that we have to keep running to, to keep trying to prop up with our praises or our evangelistic efforts. He is limitless. He is an infinite source of goodness overflowing into the world. Think about this question. Where is the glory of God most clearly visible and on display? Again, don't answer out loud, but think for yourself. Where do we most clearly see the glory of Jesus? Would you mind throwing me my water bottle there, please, babe? Thank you. Oh, outstanding, hey? Just nailed it. Would have been awkward if she had hit me in the face, though, hey? Um, 
Let's take a look at this, uh, this place where, where, where the glory of God is most clearly revealed. Uh, Revelation chapter 4, we read together verse 1 to 6. Now what's happening is John is being brought along by God into a vision of, of yes, the future, but not just the future. It's, it's, it's almost as if there's a play happening, and you know when you're watching a play, you can see from, from the outside what's happening, but what happens is the curtain is pulled away, and John is able to see behind, to see everything that's really, he's looking into the spiritual realities of what's happening, and this is the vision that he sees. Then I look, as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. And the voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in my spirit and I saw the throne in heaven and someone was sitting on the throne. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of the emerald circled the throne like a rainbow. We can jump to the next slide. And 24 thrones surrounded them, and 24 elders sat on them. And they were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in the front of the throne were seven torches of burning flames. And this is the sevenfold Spirit of God. And in front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. It's as if the, the angel pulls back the curtain and separating the, the kind of physical realm from the heavenly realm, and John is able to get a vision of the great throne of God, and gathered around him are all the other thrones. It's this extraordinary scene that he sees. It's the most beautiful and incredible scene of the glory of God. There are sparkling precious stones, rainbows of color, thunder and lightning, burning torches, mighty angels, and all the saints, past, present, and future, gathered around the living king who sits on the throne. It's the climax of all of history. And then we read in Revelation 5, verse 1 to 3, And then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. And there was writing on the scroll, on the inside and the outside of the scroll. And it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw the strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on the scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under earth was able to open the scroll and to read it. It's this climactic moment, the scroll. The scroll is said to contain the mysteries and the wonder of all of history, the purposes of God throughout all of time. And it comes to this moment to say, who is worthy to open the scroll? And they look around and no one can be found. We read verse four and five. And then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders came and said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and the seven seals. And that's exactly what we would expect, wouldn't we? The lion of the tribe of Judah, the lion, hey, the king of all the animals. What do you think of when you think of a lion? You think power, you think strength, you think winner, you think golden, recently conditioned, wavy mane. Right? What better pedigree to open the seal than the roaring lion? And if we're honest, let's slow down a little bit here. There's a little bit of us that wishes we were the conquering lion, isn't there? Wouldn't it be amazing if they were going to call your name in the crowd there with everyone else and you wait and you're thinking, 
Maybe, maybe they call my name here. We wish we could work, walk up to the center of the stage. The onlookers would see us and think, wow, that guy, that lady. Oh, wow. We wish we could get some of that glory, wouldn't we? Just a little bit of that glory walking up to that stage. Because something in our human hearts wants glory. We want it for ourselves. Something in us wishes we were the conquering lion. You see, our human concept of glory is one of inward toward ourselves, of neediness. And we'd expect the moment to go like that. The great conquering lion walks up the stairs, takes center stage, the drum roll goes, the stream is fire, the fireworks come, maybe even a little bit of a smoke machine, right, for the victorious lion. And as John watches, the one who is worthy appears to open the scroll. And as he watches, it's not a lion. Read verse 6 with me. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. And this lamb, like it had been slain, opens the scroll And the whole host of heaven, past, present, and future, sing aloud in verse 9 together. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God the persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Nowhere is the, the nature, the substance of God more clearly radiated than on the cross On the cross, it's where God, as a lamb, pours out his life for others. It's it's God who gave, God who loved, God who served, God who pours out himself to reveal the very world that he made. Michael Reeves, he says in his book here, in this great act of self-disclosure, God says to his people, this is who I am. All that I am, I give to you, and all that I have, I share with you. I want us today to see that God is always giving. God is always loving. God is always overflowing goodness. He did it in creation, and he does it in redemption. It's what the cross was all about. It was all about God coming down, as we read, and emptying himself, pouring himself out in love to transform and to renew this world again. In fact, that's what mission is. That's what evangelism is is. They say in their book, he says it so eloquently this way here, the very being of God is outwardly propulsive. God in having glory, what does he do with it? Keeps it all to himself and makes more. No, he radiates it out. God in having a word, he speaks. In having a son, he loves. It is his very nature to shine, to communicate, to give himself in relationship. This is the beating heart of mission. God's glory, his own naturally overspilling life showcased in his son is mission's rationale, it's mission's motor. Mission is only ever our being caught up in the already gushing tide of blessing that flows from the heart of the Father in the Son. You see, if your view of God is anemic and needy and God's always needing to get more followers, kind of to keep ahead of the other guys, lest we get a bit insecure about what we believe. The, the picture is of this glory puddle of God that's slowly diminishing, and we have to keep coming and propping it up and keep co- trying to grow it and make it. That, that's not at all what's happening. God is 
never stopping in his pouring out of love and goodness into the world. If we think of God as weak and needy and always needing us to draw others in, to make him seem bigger, then, then, then we'll be lame missionaries. We'll be weak in our evangelism. And it will be a little bit embarrassing to talk about Jesus in our, in our, in our friendship circles, in our, in our sports clubs, in our businesses, and in our family tables. Because, because it's based on our needing, our inward curved thinking about glory. But that's, we couldn't be more wrong when you think of the nature of God. I, I was worshiping recently at a prayer meeting we had at church, and I couldn't get an image out of my mind. Someone at our church, in our neighborhood watch group had just shared randomly this image of a, of a river that was flowing. And uh, I, I just... I want, I want you to see this picture of this river that is flowing. And just think of this in the context of the nature of God in always flowing, always giving, always loving, always serving. Let's have a look at that video if we can, guys. So, I mean, it's not the most amazing video. but It's, it's actually come out sideways. You've got to look at this water. You've got to imagine yourself standing in the front of this water flowing here. You, you ever get the feeling it's going to run out? You ever get the feeling like there's not enough? Like you, you better quickly go and gather a little bit in your cup just to, just to put it in just in case. This is something of a picture I have in my heart of the goodness and the greatness and the, the loving kindness of God that is always flowing out. And this is what God is doing in the world. God is filling the world with himself. God is filling the world with his goodness. God is filling the world with his glory. God is giving. God has given his own life. The lion became a lamb in order to to. to Bless and to fill and to transform and to renew the world. It's not that our evangelism and, and, and what God wants to do in the world hinges on our little contribution. God is doing this anyway. Our mission and our evangelism is being swept up in what God is already ceaselessly doing in the world. And so the, the last question I put to us today is, how do we join God's mission? How do we join God's mission? And I want to put to you, we proclaim Christ. We share the gospel of Christ. It's often said, uh, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words, right? We've heard that and it, it, there's something beautiful about it. There's also something a little bit arrogant about it as well, though, if you think about it. The assumption is that uh, when people see my life, they will fall down and want to worship Jesus. They will, they will see my life and they will go, Wow! You are more amazing than any other, be any other human being I've ever seen. Tell me, what is your secret? What do you, what do you mean, what secret? The secret to my amazingness? Yes, the secret to, to, tell me your secret. And you go, it's Jesus, right? I don't know about you, that doesn't happen all the time in my life. I mean, I don't walk out of here and I, I love the sentiment. I, I love the sentiment that our lives should witness to this gospel that we read. Absolutely. But the truth is, it's not enough. 
you probably, like me, don't radiate the glory of God as much as we wish we did. Yet throughout the Scriptures, Christians are called to proclaim the gospel of Christ. Christians, we, we, we want to renew society. We want to transform society. We want to bring God's design in business and education and politics and plumbing and agriculture and accounting. I'm saying yes to all of that stuff, but not everybody can do that. All of us can, can proclaim the person and the works of Jesus. Everyone can share the love of Christ with our neighbors. God in his wisdom willed to fill the world with the good news of his son. And in preaching Christ's love and his goodness and his redemption of all things, we're joining God in his outwardly flowing goodness into the world. When your heart is delighting in the goodness and the grace of God and you overflow that to others, you're sharing in the work of God. You're you're sharing Christ. Now, this isn't about perfecting the right phraseology. It's not about coming up with the right formula or technique. You're not pitching Jesus or memorizing a tract. This is not a spell that you're trying to say upon somebody as much as it's a heart overflowing wonder and delight at the goodness of Christ. Because when you look at Jesus, you realize how profoundly different Christ is than any other worldview, than any other um, political party, than any other deity that there is in the world. This is a God who created all things and then who came and died for the world that he had made. He is always giving, he is always loving, and he will never run out. What a, what, a, what a unique message in all the world. It's not a, the content of our evangelism is Jesus himself, Christ who gave, Christ who shares, Christ who serves, who's a never-ending source of benevolent goodness in the world. Having all of heaven, he gave it up as we sang to take on the frailty of of, human, of, of being a human being in order to love. There is no force, there is no deity, there is no ideology that comes close to the beauty and wonder of this message. It's, it's, it's unfathomable. It, it's not the kind of message you dream up and you create, especially in the culture in which it emerged. We're not offering the world our newly refurbished lives, our fancy homes, our new jobs, or our flashy clothes. We're offering the world Christ. Who is benevolent, who is good, who is always giving selflessly like no one else in the world. I put to you today, we are all evangelists of the things we love the most. Of the things that are most compelling and pressing on our hearts. And I put to you today, there is nothing, there is no one that comes close to the wonder of Christ as he radiates the the substance of God into the world. So, So I put to you today, see Christ for who he really is, the infinite giver, the limitless source of goodness who never ceases gushing out beauty and grace and justice and goodness on the world. The lion who is also the lamb who laid down his life for you and for me and for our mates, our friends, our family, our neighbors, our colleagues. My big idea today, the best evangelists are delighted believers who are enjoying the goodness of Jesus.
You let us so well this morning. Come to me, all you who are weary and needing rest. Is your heart enjoying the goodness of Christ? Is he still the most compellingly wonderful person in your life? When you look at all the other claims of all the other philosophies out there, you look and you go, wow, none come close to the God who gave it all, who never stops giving, who is always pouring himself out in love. It turns the way you do business upside down. It turns the way you do generosity upside down. It turns the way you love. It turns the way you forgive. It turns the way you live completely upside down. But it's all rooted, not in a sense of morality. It's rooted in this glorious God who's not just a lion, who gave it all up and became a lamb as well. The best evangelists are delighted believers who are enjoying the goodness of Jesus. I hope today that you have a fresh confidence to share Christ in in, in life-giving, organic, fresh ways with your friends. That there's a sense of delight and overflow rather than duty. You really do carry within you as a church and as a Christ follower the most incredible message of hope the world will ever know. Can we land by praying? Greg, would I like to pray or would you like to pray? I would like to pray. Christ, we come before you now. We thank you that you are the the substance, the radiance of the person of God on display in the world throughout all of history. God, everything in our hearts expected the lion. Everything in our hearts wanted the lion. Everything in our hearts inwardly craves to get a bit of glory for ourselves. And yet you who have it all, give it away. There's no one like you, Christ. Having everything, you gave it all away in love, in selflessness. And in so doing, you filled the world with your glory. Jesus, would you forgive us when we've imposed upon you our own hearts, our own neediness, our own desire to walk up there and have our moment. And Christ, would you enlarge our view of you in a world that is in it for what they can get for themselves. If we were honest, A lot of that resonates in our hearts, Jesus. Would you win us freshly by helping us see the God who poured himself out in love? Would you soften our hearts, Christ? Soften our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, as we gaze upon Christ, the lamb who was slain. Would you soften our hearts in wonder and in love that you would die on a cross that grew in a tree in the world that you created? Because that's how good, how giving, how loving you are, Christ. There's no one in our world who comes close to that. And Christ, as we freshly see your 
infinite goodness. Would you give us courage and in a natural way more opportunities to just talk about that great truth, that glorious message in such a way that upside downs what we see happening in our world, that gives new insight to our friends and our family members about how we and how they can learn to forgive, how they can learn to trust, how, how they can uh, learn to do marriage and parenting and business in new ways because we have this fresh and pressing sense of your goodness resonating like a soundtrack in our minds and in our hearts. And in this place of delight in your goodness, we're naturally able to share the wonder of who you are, Christ. And so I pray for covenant grace, Lord Jesus. I pray for a fresh revelation of the wonder of Christ the power of the gospel message and the conviction to be able to share it clearly and lovingly, not in a contrived way, but in a delightful way with our friends, with our family members, our sports clubs. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would keep Christ looming large and beautiful most beautiful in our hearts. We ask this, Lord, in your name. Amen.